by the people for the podcast, produced by the American Civil Liberties Union of New Hampshire. My name is Polana. My pronouns are she, her. And uh, for the last two years, I've been the trans justice organizer here at the ACLU of New Hampshire. But today, I'm joining you as the author of a report titled The Case for Lived Equality in the Classroom, Why New Hampshire School Districts Should Adopt Trans Student Policies. Before I say anything about the report, our lawyers would like for me to remind you that, uh, that this podcast does not constitute legal or medical advice. I would like to flag for listeners that we're going to be talking about incidences of discrimination in schools. There will be some unbeeped swearing because of free speech. Um, and there will be a few that you'll hear throughout it. Those are names that we are beeping out uh, because of privacy. So let's dive in. A 2017 CDC study, um, which is the most comprehensive nationwide study of students to date with a measure of transgender identity, um, revealed that around 2% of high school students nationwide identify as trans or gender non-conforming. And applied to our state's 55,000 public high school enrollments in the 2019-2020 school year, uh, the rate of 1.8% would suggest that New Hampshire likely had about 1,000 trans and gender nonconforming students in just the high schools, just in the high schools. And then if this percentage of 1.8 of students identifying as trans and gender nonconforming held true across all of the 176,000 New Hampshire public high school enrollees, there would have been somewhere around 3,000 openly trans and gender nonconforming students across New Hampshire public school districts during that 2019-2020 school year. Trans and gender nonconforming students are clearly no longer a hypothetical for most New Hampshire school districts. And yet, without policies in place, those students are left to advocate for themselves as they seek respect and understanding throughout the school day. But it doesn't have to be that way. I would really like to introduce y'all to some of the uh, trans and gender nonconforming students and their parents that I've met over the last two years. Oh, yeah. My name is Este and she, her. So I have two children and from a really early age, just kind of always did his own thing. He wore what he wanted to wear. He played with what he wanted to play with. We, there was no reason for us to push any standards on him. It was it's such a free spirit, period. Like today, he wore a uni sparkly unicorn shirt. And then he wore like boy, his brother's oversized joggers and then pink galoshes. And he's just so like, I asked Este to describe her other son and his relationship with his younger brother. He is just, I'm like, how did you come from us? But he's like just such a a guy's guy kind of kid. And I remember last year getting a text message from the first grade teacher. She was like doing recess duty and she texted me and apparently there were two little boys on the playground and was up with the preschool playing and these two little boys pointed to and they go, what is that? Is that a boy or a girl? Came hauling ass out of like literally nowhere. And got real close to these boys. And he just goes, mind your own business. And it wasn't like these boys were being malicious. I think they were just asking a real question that they had. For now, Este sends her kids to a private school, but plans to eventually allow her children to go to public school if they wish. Her biggest concern about eventually doing so is how her gender nonconforming son will cope with others' judgment. And I think that's all parents. Like, even if your kid is average AF, 
like you're worried about how people are going to treat them. And I even think about... Unfortunately, she has reason to worry about how her child will be treated. The last comprehensive assessment of trans students in New Hampshire, which was conducted by GLSEN in 2017, found that 69% of LGBTQ students in New Hampshire could recall hearing negative comments about transgender people. The 2015 U.S. Transgender Survey backs this narrative, reporting that 74% of those who were out as trans at some point while receiving a K-12 education in New Hampshire experienced some form of mistreatment, with 12% of those trans students ultimately leaving their school because the mistreatment was so bad. Yeah, opinions can be, you know, whether you're like pineapple and pizza or, or whatever, but when it comes to human life, that's not really an opinion. And I am going to use this moment to go on the record and say that pineapple on pizza is just wonderful. And also, so are transgender and gender nonconforming students. Hi, I'm Eli. Uh, I use he, him pronouns. I'm Kelly. I use she, her pronouns. Or I always say it wrong. No, you're fine. Eli, who is a transgender teenager, is one of those students. He transferred school districts after harassment made it difficult to attend school. Yeah, like a, a constant wondering, planning how my day is going to go. And if X, Y, Z scenario happens, what I do then. Mm-hmm. And so it takes away mm-hmm. from the learning aspect and more focused on anxiety, basically. Mm-hmm. His mother, Kelly, recalled the administration's inability to understand the microaggressions her child was constantly facing. It's not, it's not the one huge event where somebody gets beat up or hurt really bad it's all those little every single class snickers and laughs and then they don't discipline the kids that are laughing and and bullying they send eli out of the room so yeah they designated the library an area for eli to remove himself that was one of the things that didn't sit very well with mom Another transgender teenager that we spoke with, Samuel, had a very similar experience coming from a school district that was not very affirming of his gender identity. I'm just moving where there's not blood coming from the wall in the background, you know what I mean? Okay. Uh, <laughs> when administrations stay neutral or give you no information on it, what that leaves the student with is evaluating their own safety options and if they're even following the rules. And that gray area is just never a great place to be, especially with how at-risk transgender students are to bullying. So that same GLSEN survey we mentioned earlier from 2017, it revealed that in addition to the heightened risk of bullying, uh, that about half of students polled in New Hampshire were prevented from using their chosen name or pronouns in school. At his previous school, Samuel had been left to explain his name to teachers individually and found that his dead name was printed in many places throughout the school. SAT lists that they hang up throughout the schools, like schedules, uh, yearbooks are definitely an issue that come up. I know I got dead named. Forcing transgender people to disclose their transgender status and be outed by inaccurate identification also violates their constitutional right to privacy. Oh, and substitutes uh, with attendance lists is a huge issue. I would actually get marked late a lot my freshman year and then later go to the office and be like, yeah, I didn't say my name during attendance, but I was there. And they were like, okay, yeah, we know. (laughs) So like they would call your uh, dead name and you And I'd be like, who's that? (laughs) Never seen that person in class, am I right, guys? 
how many restrooms were there that you could use as a trans or gender nonconforming student? Zero. In schools without trans and gender nonconforming student policies, it's not uncommon to hear that those students are required to use a nurse's restroom or one of few gender neutral restrooms in a school. There was like one gender neutral bathroom in the whole school in like the nurse's office on the bottom floor. And so that, that's, that's what I used for the rest of high school. I literally waited all day. I would not drink because I was told by multiple students and indirectly by multiple staff members that if I was caught using either bathroom, there would be issues, uh, including the threat of um, suspension. About one third of respondents to the 2015 transgender survey responded limiting the the amount that they ate and drank to avoid using the restroom. And about 8% of those folks reported having a urinary tract infection, kidney infection, or another kidney-related problem in the past year as a result of having avoided the restrooms. The school developed a number of gender-neutral restrooms later in the year, but these single-use stalls with lockable doors were immediately abused. So I would basically wait all day and then walk downtown to Burrito Me, which had gender-neutral bathrooms, and use those. It was not a great experience. And the gender-neutral bathrooms not only were implemented very later in the year, they came with students who were participating in drug use and sexual activities during school, using them for that use, which made it very uncomfortable for trans students. Like, I have literally walked into the bathroom when we got our first one, and there was a stall and the sink, and there were two kids just jeweling in there, and I was just sitting in the stall like, okay, <laughs> hopefully they'll leave soon, because I just really want to pee. If you add gender-neutral bathrooms with a lock on the door and they're, like, roomy, then you're going to have issues with kids using them for the wrong purposes. And they were always the first to be locked, so cleaned and locked, which meant as a student who stayed after school, if I was doing DECA, running the school store, or clubs, or late for theater practice, the bathrooms that I was allowed to use were already locked and closed. Fortunately, both Samuel and Eli are now attending uh, New Hampshire public schools with a level of in-school support that their respective previous districts did not. The New Hampshire School Board Association introduced their model trans and gender nonconforming student policy, JBAB, in April 2015, at the request of several districts seeking guidance developing a policy of their own in that previous year. The model policy JBAB provides guidance in many areas of trans student accommodation, including chosen name, pronouns, and restrooms, among other areas. The School Board Association's model policy is broken out into three sections, which are purpose, definitions, and guidance, although some school boards have wisely adopted a procedure section as well. The purpose is a simple statement of intent. This policy sets out guidances for schools and district staff to address the needs of transgender and gender nonconforming students and clarifies how state law should be implemented in situations where questions may arise about how to protect the legal rights or safety of such students. The goal is to ensure the safety, comfort, and healthy development of the transgender or gender nonconforming student while maximizing a student's social integration in minimizing stigmatization of the student. And the definition section is just providing a common understanding around trans and gender nonconforming identities. But the real substance of the School Board Association's policy is the guidance portion, of which JBABS suggests 10. 
official records. So when I first came out, I didn't have my name legally changed. Name and pronouns. Um, most teachers still called me my dead name because they were like, well, it still says on the paper. Gender segregated activities. I almost didn't go on my senior trip because they didn't want me rooming with other girls on the trip. Anti-harassment. Teenage boys. <laughs> that was definitely an issue I had to deal with. Privacy. Then he goes, oh, no, it's fine. You can go right now. I was like, I, I could wait till later. And he's like, no, no, go ahead. Right in front of another student. Bathroom access. So then I awkwardly had to be like, oh, so what's the policy? And he said, oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you can use it. Dress code. We get to school and he's wearing this dress and... Interscholastic athletics. Intramural sports. Locker rooms. Although the New Hampshire School Board Association created this policy, it is classified as optional. And it's been up to each of our state's school districts and charter schools to decide if they would like to adopt their own version of the policy or go without one, as many have done. In the five years since the model policy was introduced, 48 of the 196 public school districts and charter schools in New Hampshire have adopted a trans student policy. The Monroe School District and Epping School District became the first school districts in New Hampshire to adopt the JBAB policy on both on June 15th, 2015. Six districts ended up adopting a version of the policy in 2015, followed closely by 19 districts in 2016, and there's been an additional 23 since 2017. New Hampshire's average of 33% of students attending a district with a trans student policy is well above the national average of only about 11%. And it's a great start for five years time. But it, you know, let's think back to those thousand high schoolers, just in the high schools, those thousand trans and gender nonconforming high schoolers. It means that about 667 of them are at a school without a policy and their and their accommodations are being decided case by case. 26 of the 48 districts that chose to adopt a trans student policy adopted their policy nearly verbatim from the school board association's policy. But the other 22 districts fall somewhere between omitting just, you know, a couple of the guidances to actually being a pretty meaningless policy. The largest school district to have adopted a trans and gender nonconforming student policy is Nashua School District. However, their policy is one of those few policies that is lacking substance other than a loan guidance on anti-harassment. So while I was doing all of this research about, uh, about policies, there is one that stood out. Uh, it is a plan like no other, um, and I... I'm just going to let the person who created the policy set it up for you. I was the first one who actually called them out on their lack of policy or rules or anything. I was <laughs> the first one to give them trouble. Uh, yeah, my name is Grimmy Amelia Jones, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. So when GRS Cooperative School District student Grimmy Jones came out as transgender during her junior year of high school, she sent an email to her school's administration asking for an accommodation of, of her transgender identity. The school informed teachers of the change, but it ended up being up to each teacher to implement the change in their respective classrooms. Grimmy was encountering several teachers and students who would not call her by her, by her name or her pronouns. So initially... I wanted to do just a, I was initially just going to repropose the JBAB 
style of the policy. But then I uh, was thinking and talking to some other friends outside of school who had done similar advocacy projects. Um, and we came to discussing about how a policy isn't just an, isn't enough. A policy might like be a nice safety net, but there also needs to be actual in-place supports for trans kids because, you know, I was flying blind when it came to being trans in my high school. There was nothing for me, no supports, no safety nets, no nothing. The policy that she began to develop was titled the Gender Support Plan, and the plan covers similar areas as JBAB, including privacy, name, pronouns, official records, restroom access, and athletics, but rather than it being an explicit guidance like uh, JBAB, the gender support plan is a comprehensive 88 point support plan. I counted them, there are 88 fields on that form to be completed by the student and school staff. The document creates shared understandings about the ways in which the student's authentic gender will be accounted for and supported at school. And it spells out the nuances rarely considered in a case-by-case -case accommodation. This includes nine considerations for student safety, 33 considerations for student records, and a commitment to continually check in with trans and gender non-conforming students. The school board adopted the policy in a seven to one vote on October 1st, 2019. I do genuinely hope that when a trans kid needs it, it will be there for them. You know, that's kind of the whole reason why I did it is not so it's like, it doesn't need to be super prevalent in your face. Like this school is all about trans and queer kids. Uh, it's supposed to be if a child needs this, they will have it. All right, folks, this has only been the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest preview of the full report, which you can find at aclu-nh.org. I need to thank so many people for, for working on this, the people that helped research, the people that provided us with interviews, uh, people who just provided us additional information. Oh my gosh, thank you all so much. If your name is Jeannie Horeska, or Jillian Flusk, or Takuma Okada, or Este, or Felix, or Samuel, Gray, Grimmy, Rebecca, Kelly, and Eli, oh my gosh. And if your school district has not yet adopted one of these policies, perfect, you can bring it up to them. The American Civil Liberties Union of New Hampshire is a nonprofit, nonpartisan membership organization dedicated to preserving the individual rights and liberties guaranteed in the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. My name is Polana, my pronouns are she, her, and I was the trans justice organizer for the past two years at the ACLU of New Hampshire. I just want to make sure that you know that this podcast was produced by like pineapple and pizza or whatever. All right, folks, peace out. <laughs>